Dear Founder, as you know, there's no blueprint for entrepreneurship. You wear so many hats, you burn the midnight oil, you pour your heart and soul into everything that you do. But without a doubt, the journey is worth every single second that you put into it. I'm Lindsay Pinchuk, host of the Dear Founder podcast. I say this because I've lived it for over a decade. I started my first company with $500 in my pocket and a baby in my belly. I grew it and I sold it all. This podcast is my weekly letter to you. We'll talk all things starting, growing, nurturing, and in some cases, even selling a business. Together with some of my closest contacts, I'm here to help you find your own success, whatever that means to you. The ride as a founder is the ride of your life. So come on in and join me for another episode that will get you one step closer to reaching your own founder goals. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Founder. I am so excited for you to meet today's guest, Elizabeth Reese. I had the pleasure of meeting her on a panel of mompreneurs during the quarantine period of COVID. We were all locked up at home and we were asked to speak on a panel together. Her story is fascinating and her product is incredible. One of my favorite parts of Elizabeth's story is that on the day that she launched, she did what I tell all founders to do. A lot of you know this because you hear me say it all the time, but she sent an email to every single person that she knew. That email led to a very big piece of press that helped put her company on the map long before she ever thought possible. Elizabeth Reese is the founder of Chasing Paper, a stylish, innovative wallpaper company, which got its start by creating high-quality, removable wallpaper. As third generation in her family's printing company, she grew up learning the ins and outs of ink, paper, and patterns. While the belief that printing is not only a family tradition, but also a craft, Elizabeth carved out her own path in paper by developing a line of design-conscious wallpaper. As the first product of its kind, Elizabeth runs an incredibly successful business with a very lean team, utilizing the resources she has in front of her. I am so excited for you to hear her story. Please come on in and meet my friend, Elizabeth Reese. All right. Today and Dear Found Her, we have a very special guest and someone who is definitely the product of my own networking capabilities. Um, Elizabeth Reese, founder of Chasing Paper, is someone who I was actually on a panel with, a virtual panel with, during the height of the pandemic. And that was the first time that we had met. And I knew when I started this podcast that I had to have her on and I had to share her story. You know who she is because you know her product, especially especially if you ever decorated a house. (laughs) You know Chasing Paper. And now that I'm saying it, you're going to be served ads and you're going to get you're going to get stuff online with her beautiful, beautiful, beautiful product. So Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. Of course. It's so great to reconnect. um, And I'm so excited that you're here. So I'd love for you to get us started because you have an amazing company. You have an amazing product. And I want you to take us back and tell us how you started it. Absolutely. So Um, I was in my kind of mid twenties, I was living in New York city and I was a little bit lost. I was like, not really sure what my next career move was going to be. And, um, I was doing some work for my family business. Um, I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, um, and I'm third generation in my family's printing business, which is a commercial printer. They print, um, B2B like billboards and bus wraps and like very commercial commoditized product, um, products. And I said to my dad, I said, look, I think that there's an opportunity for a B2C product um, that I would like love to maybe kind of ideate and, and, and see what I could do. And he said, as long as you don't lose money, <laughs> uh, even if you just break even, if you, if you know, you think that there's an opportunity out there, I'd love to have you kind of see what you think. So I got to work. I started, you know, kind of to your point, networking, networking, networking. I went to breakfast, lunch, dinner, coffee, drinks with anyone I could, um, people who were entrepreneurs, um, even not like chefs or just other creative people and really just kind of wanted to learn sort of like what were some um, barriers or things that they were running into. And one um, coffee I was having was with the founder of um, a very large beauty brand and they were moving offices. They had just gotten um, their series A uh, money and they were building up beautiful big offices, but they were in these like transitional offices. And um, 
investors were coming by and editors and they were having all these meetings and the the space did not look like the brand. It didn't feel like the brand. And I said, I, give me, you know, like, let's, let's try to think of something. So when I toured the office, I noticed that there were these huge support beams um, all throughout the office. It was like on a, in a floor, like in Midtown in New York. And it was drab. I mean, it looked, it was very sterile um, and it was a beauty brand. It was all young, cool women working there. Um, so we, I worked with their graphic designer and we, she hand drew these birch trees in hot pink, which was their signature color at the time. It was like 2012. So that's okay. Um, and we um, ba- printed them on like kind of just a peel and stick material. We installed them on these support beams on like a Thursday, Friday. And by Monday, um, a few women in the office had reached out being like, where can I buy this? Like this completely transformed the space. Um, I love how it looks. It's so fun. I want this in my apartment. Um, and you know, the, the founder of that business said, you know, I don't know what the idea is here, but there's an idea like this idea of transformation, and again, this is 10 years ago. So removable wallpaper was not a thing. You could not buy it at Target. You could not buy it at Home Depot. It was not ubiqu- ubiquitous as it is now. And um, when I kind of looked at the landscape, there was a lot of people just printing on vinyl, which is obviously a you know inexpensive plastic material. Um, and I thought we could do better than that. Uh, most of the design was like clip art or things that you could just find on the internet. I knew we could do better than that. Um, and with those two things, just kind of like a thoughtful design and a high quality product, um, we were kind of off to the races. I did R&D for probably six months. Um, I spent a couple months doing photo shoots and building the website um, and kind of getting everything together. And we hit, hit you know, live and it was just kind of off to the races. I didn't have... a industry contact. I did not have a PR person. I didn't have a marketing person. I mean, I had none of that, but I knew that this idea would be great. And all I did on that first launch day was send it to all my friends, all my family say like, let me know what you think of the site, send it to your circle. If you think it's cool. Um, we launched that on a Tuesday. I flew back to New York. So I was in Milwaukee. Um, on Wednesday morning, I went to like my Google analytics and there was like, hundreds, if not thousands of people on the site. And I thought, oh my God, this must be like a glitch. Something must have gone wrong. Um, I literally thought it was a mistake, but one of the women that I had sent it to had sent it to um, one of the editors at Design Sponge, which was the biggest kind of home decor blog at the time. Um, And we were like front page on that being like, finally cute, removable wallpaper. And so we, it was a steep learning curve. (laughs) Um, cause we had a lot of interest right away and editors picked it up and, um, we just had a lot of early, um, kind of, you know, success, but also just, you know, people kind of quote, right. People were saying like, this is a great idea. This is well-designed. Um, and then that was almost 10 years ago. And, and since then we've obviously added a lot. We started selling traditional wallpaper about three years ago, just because we were getting asked for it all the time. Interior designers said, I want to put this print or this pattern into my client's house, but remove, you know, it's a million dollar, $2 million, $5 million house. Tradi- traditional is what it has to be. So we were doing a lot of custom projects for designers. And then we just thought, well, maybe if they want it, other people want it too. And um, that's been hugely successful every single month, um, month over month, we see that um, percentage crawling a little bit more towards that 50, 50 mark. Um, removable is still, you know, our, our best seller and our, um, kind of our bread and butter, but, um, you know, I think in a couple more years time, I bet that'll be closer to a 50, 50 split, which is exciting. And yeah, so that's kind of how we got to be where we are. And I mean, obviously lots of things in the middle, but (laughs) of course, but I love your story because with female founders that I interview, it's either like one of two things, right? It's like, oh, I have this idea and I want to make it a business or I want to own a business, but I wasn't quite sure what the idea was. And I love that this story is the latter. And you actually like watched the idea come to fruition in a way that probably surprised you because you were trying to figure out what it was you wanted to do. And I'm sure you were like, oh, and it was like a very aha moment, right? Completely. And like that set the stage for your whole business. Talk to me a little bit about the R&D process. You said, you know, you did a lot of R&D. And I think that that's very important because even in listening to your story, 
you networking with people was R&D because you were trying to figure out what what were the pain points that you could potentially help solve with a product that you could print. And, you know, I, I, I think not enough of us do enough R&D. And so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that process because that's important, especially if you have a consumer good. Absolutely. I think my guiding light, my North star through the R&D process was differentiators. Like what is already out there? What has already been done? And how am I going to improve upon things? I think so many times people are just trying to like iterate, you know, iterate and iterate and iterate. And then they're like, but why doesn't anyone want my thing? And it's like, well, because it like looks and, you know, if it, it looks and feels and sounds just like a lot of other things that are out there. And it's a lot harder to cut through the noise um, if it's like an iterative process or an iterative product. So what we really tried to do was be like, okay, removable wallpaper exists. Like contact paper has been around since like, you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s. And that's what in the early years, that's what people would liken it to. And I said, but I don't want anyone to think that this is contact paper. Like I have to show them that it's so much better than that, you know? And and that was really kind of my driver. I, I really wanted to be able to show value and, but I was kind of stumped at first about how do we do that? And, and what are those value props that are going to set us apart? And one of the big ones, um, as we were doing it is again, everyone kind of printed on vinyl, which is fine. I think that there's a time and a place for vinyl. Like it's, it, there's certainly, I mean, it, people don't sell as much as they do of it for no reason. I mean, it's inexpensive. Um, you know, it's, it's durable in a lot of ways, Um, but what we did is I, as I was looking at all these different materials, I just knew I didn't want to go in that direction. It's, you know, not great. It's from a sourcing perspective. It all mostly comes from overseas. I really wanted to manufacture within the United States if I could. Um, and again, this is so far beyond COVID and before COVID and supply chain issues and all that. Um, I just knew that it just gets tricky um, when you're when you're relying on you know a third party or a factory somewhere else that you don't have any eyes or ears into. Um, and when I was just starting out, it was just me. So I just felt like I've got to be able to have a handle on this. I've got to be able to get my arms around it. Um, so when I looked at kind of the landscape, what I noticed was what it was being printed on, which was vinyl. Everything was vinyl. So we printed on a peel and stick fabric. It had a texture and a grain to it that was akin to traditional wallpaper. And I always said that in the beginning, I said, when this is installed on your walls, I don't want anyone to know that it's not traditional. That was my goal. It should not look like removable wallpaper. If it does, we haven't done our job. So we printed on a peel and stick fabric, which anyone who feels our product, even today, they're like, oh my gosh, oh wow, this is so different. Um, and I love to hear that. Um, the second thing was that everyone photoshopped everything. That's still kind of an industry standard. Um, if you go to a lot of websites, even though it's all come a long way, because now you can like 3D render things to look insanely good. <laughs> um, they, I knew at the time, it just, they have one static picture and then all the wallpapers kind of on that same wall. Um, we still, to this day, shoot everything in a real environment. Um, and we believe that that creates an aspirational, inspiring um, vignette that people can really get excited about versus just something that um, looks very static and cookie cutter. And then, um, you know, the third thing was that everyone sold wallpaper in rolls, which is, again, a category standard. Um, And we felt like, again, me being a single gal living in New York City by myself, I said, I just, the roll scared me. It, It like intimidated me. I was like, you have to understand the drop and the repeat and how you're going to cut everything. And what if you make a wrong cut, then you've like ruined all this wallpaper. It just seemed intimidating. And so we uh, so have always sold our panels of wallpaper in panels. Um, so they match and tile perfectly um, from side to side, from top to bottom. And to me, it just was a way to further empower our customer to say like, you've got this girl because our customer is women. (laughs) And we just wanted to make it really accessible while still being aspirational. Today's episode is brought to you by Hivecast, an amazing agency providing high quality podcast production made simple and affordable. I hit the jackpot when I came across Hivecast as I pieced together services from contractors all over the web initially to help me with my podcast. Hivecast was everything 
that I needed all in one place. For just $500 per month, they not only produce and edit four episodes, but they also create the marketing assets. Emma, my account manager, is amazing, making sure that I'm on task and that we can schedule episodes regularly and by my deadlines. Honestly, the time saved working with Hivecast is worth at least triple what I'm paying. Their sister company, Fireside, offers other marketing services for small businesses, including social media management, Facebook and Instagram ads, search engine marketing, and so much more. Again, all at a rate palatable by a small business owner. The best part, there's no contract. You can purchase their services as needed on a monthly basis. Use the code FOUNDHER and save 50% off your first month of services. Give them a try. The decision to outsource this part of my business has surely saved me a ton in the long run, and it was the best decision I've made for my business. Your story is so amazing, and your product is so amazing. I mean, really. Um, The other thing that I love about your story is that it started the way I started both of my businesses and the way I always tell my clients to start their business, and that is with an email. And your I mean, I, I but I can't even tell you how many people, and you'd be shocked, don't send an email to everyone they know when they start a business. And I want you to talk about the power of that because, I mean, not only did you get this piece of press, but like, I mean, this was a very powerful email that you sent. And I really want to hammer home the importance of sending that email. I like truly, it is probably the most important thing I would say you do. And also you do it for yourself. I mean, take a minute and draft something that's almost a letter to yourself. You, at the point that you are at launch, you have been through so much (laughs) to get to that day, to get to that launch day. I mean, I go back and I reread that email time from time to time. And I've done that a couple of times throughout the 10 years I've owned Chasing Paper for launching something big, or I've taken a lot of time. Um, I go back to that. And I, I, I certainly, you know, take some people off that email list and add new people that I've met. And so it's, you know, that the email list is kind of a, a growing, breathing thing. But I mean, if you can't rely on, and, and again, I kind of did it for myself. And then you hope that there's kind of that, you know, that mushroom effect um, within that group. Um, and I think what I will say about the email is don't rely on those people to buy the product because you know what? They might and they might not. And some of the best advice I got from before I launched Chasing Paper was everyone will tell you it's a good idea. Not everyone will give you their credit card. And that's true. People love to hear business ideas. That's why we listen to these kinds of podcasts, right? Right. People love to be inspired. They love to be an expert. They love to hear something. People like to be encouraging and and tell you to keep going and do all the things, but not everyone's going to say, I'm going to buy that. Here's my card. Sign me up for 10 or give me a room of wallpaper, whatever you're selling. And I think that that also is true for that initial email. You know, do do all my friends and family have chasing paper in their homes? I wish I could say yes to that, but they don't. And that's okay. Like some of my friends have waited 10 years until they had their first baby and then they put it in their baby's nursery or whatever. And I don't hold that against anyone. It's, it's, there's a million things to buy and there's a million things to support. You hope that people do. But I think that initial email is way more about getting the word out. And hopefully, and what I always try to tell my friends and family is, it's not about buying the thing, but if you can send this to five people that you think might buy the thing, that honestly is almost better than you buying the thing and like having the buck stop there. Um, so I think it's really about just helping to get the word out. And again, people want to be your advocate. They want to be um, helpful. And I, I think it's an immensely part. And again, it's a great thing to go back and to read too. a year later, five years later, 10 years later, um, realizing who- that moment. I have a friend who sends me my bump club email from 12 years ago every year in March. See, I love that. And I have it too, but she sends it to me. It's one of my closest friends. That's um, a really good friend. <laughs> and she sends it to me and she'll be like, look, look what's in my email today. And like, it just, she always sends it to me. And um, to your point, it, it, there's so many reasons why it's important to read yes. it. Right. Yeah. So how did you handle that initial, like, because a lot like a lot of businesses are not prepared for what happens when you get that initial press hit. I actually like I had a <laughs> local bakery. I asked them and I put them on Mother's Day TV last week and they were very nervous because she was like, are we going to be prepared for like, you know, and and I and I totally understand that, you know, so like 
what do you do, especially because you were probably caught off guard a little bit? Totally caught off guard. I mean, totally caught off guard. (laughs) You know, I think the biggest thing that we did um, right was that we were just listening to our customers because we initially made a lot of mistakes. You know, you, you infer a lot about this customer that you don't, don't have yet. Right. You think about her and you market towards her and you create a lot of things kind of like with who you think she is or he is or whoever your customer is. Um, and you're going to get some things right, but you're not going to get everything right. And I think that that's a big thing that I always tell other female entrepreneurs is like, it's just not going to be perfect right away. There's just no way that you can build a perfect business right away. And I think, you know, once you kind of can get over that and just recognize that what it's about in the beginning is how quickly you can shift, how quickly you can pivot, how quickly you can make small adjustments to be more in line with what your customer is asking you to do. I mean, truly that is our holy grail, our North star for everything is like, you know, and our customers, women, they will tell us when they don't like something or when they love something, they're vocal. And that is such a, I mean, I feel so blessed to have that communication with our customers because we can know, I mean, especially with social media, like my DMS will be full if people don't like something or love something or want more of something. Um, our customer is not afraid to ask, but, you know, so I think we did a lot of listening and then we did a lot of quick changing, (laughs) like quick, making some adjustments quickly and not being so precious that like, oh, but we worked on this thing for so long and I want to keep it on. Like if it isn't working and you, especially if you get a lot of people coming to the site right away, there are certain things that are going to work and not work. Um, or just things that we hadn't answered properly, the same question coming up and up and up and up over, you know, a hundred people, then you say, okay, we are not properly addressing this on the website and we need to go back and readdress that so that it's very clear and that nobody's coming to us with the same question anymore. Um, so I think it, that that was a big thing. And I, I think the misses were that like, you know, like, did we leverage that press right away? And as quickly as we probably should have now, I know a lot more about leveraging press. Um, probably not. <laughs> uh, just because again, it was kind of unassumed or I, I didn't, I didn't see it coming. Um, but that's another thing when you do have those press things hit, whether you know about them or not, the more you can, again, write that email again, saying, Hey, we're in this thing. Um, you know, if you can include this in this, um, link in an email or putting it on the signature of your, um, you know, your email signature or, um, you know, social media or an email or a text message. I mean, all, there's so many ways to market now, but letting people know too about those big hits, because I think that's another way to just kind of like get that mushroom effect of, um, trust and, and, you know, people getting excited about something. So after like the initial, you know, like kind of hype wore off, especially from that initial press hit, like, what what did you do next in terms of drumming up customers and and how does that look different from your marketing approach now and do you have a very large like paid marketing approach or is it especially now or is it you know more word of mouth is it, it, it which i i would guess you get a lot of business word of mouth we did we did i mean i think what was great about that initial hit was that it i it showed me and again, this is 10 years ago too. So like the landscape was different, right? Social media was like non-existent. Like Instagram didn't even exist when I started chasing paper, you Me know, too. like it was not a thing. <laughs> um, so I think what I ended up doing, and I, again, I tell entrepreneurs this all the time is people like, oh, but I don't like know people. Um, I did a lot of research on like, you know, the top 50 women's magazines. I went through, I screw, I mean, I was spent like, this is pre-kids, pre-my husband. So I would just burn the midnight oil. <laughs> And I would search the internet for, you know, the market editors or the lifestyle lifestyle editors um, at these publications. I created this like big master sheet. And then I also spent like two weeks writing handwritten notes to every single one of those women. Um, and then I also sent, I went to Ikea cause I had no money. I mean, literally no money. And I bought those little like Riva frames, you know, they're like a dollar, yeah. <laughs> like literally, I carted those back to my little apartment in the West village and, um, I framed a piece of wallpaper and I sent that handwritten note with this little frame. I found this like perfect little box that it went into. Um, I tied everything like with string. I like made it really cute. I mean, this took me weeks because I was a one person show (laughs) and then tied to the string, like inside the box, I had, um, a jump drive of all of our images, um, a little bit like a, you know, another like informational kind of like 
press release kind of a thing. Um, and just telling my story. And then I also had done like stalker style research on all these women. So I just talked about like what articles they had written that I loved or why I thought that like this would be a great thing to write about or whatever. And I mean, I wrote long letters. I don't know if people read them or not, but I had some really good success rate with that. Um, again, I just think it was like a little bit different. It wasn't coming from like a press person. It was just like coming from me, the founder. And um I got some good press from that as well. And then the other thing I did sort of simultaneously to that, um, because again, I had like no ad money, I had no marketing money. And again, social media was just, Facebook was a thing, but just not in the same way. No, I know. Um, is I just kept networking. Like I would make it my business to have like, a, you know, a breakfast, a coffee, a lunch, a drink, uh, whatever. Like I stacked my schedule and I would not take people to fancy places. I mean, I would meet them at like a, you know, basically like a bodega or like a little mini coffee shop or like a diner for breakfast, you know? And like, it wasn't anything fancy, but like, I just wanted to tell people and I wanted to learn from their experiences. And just that too was so helpful. It got me in the door so many places. I said yes to everything, like everything, everything, everything. Um, and that got me a lot of just kind of like early, um, things I was like on TV or I'd be on like morning shows or I'd be on, um, local TV in my hometown or whatever. Like I said, yes to everything. But that and- goes to show the power <laughs> of your story and oh, sharing you. your story. And that's something I say all the time to my clients and to my students is you have to share your story over and over and over again, because when you share it, other people will start sharing it for you. And that's what happened really? to you. Yes. And I also absolutely. think that what you did was so amazing And I know this was before kind of like digital stuff. I know that, but I do think there's some degree of this now too, because it's been so lost is like the personalization that you gave to a lot of these editors, that's what made you stick out. And that's what made them want to feature you is they weren't just getting like a mailer that everyone got. Right. And yes, it took time, but like, was it worth it? 1000% when like a a million percent. And I think that that just like, you know, and, and again, that was probably in like the year one and two things were just, I mean, I didn't have crazy overnight growth. Like, you know, people are like, I had a million dollars in, you know, that's what you read about in these magazines and whatever. And a lot of times those stories of like overnight successes are the ones we read about. I mean, my, my growth has been unbelievably organic since day one. I mean, we've had some of those peaks, but then we've also had a lot of valleys too. So anyone listening to this podcast, I don't want it to say like, I had the a piece of press the first day and that was it. Like, it's been great ever since. It's like, you know, for every great press you have, you have a couple of weeks that are super hard and where you're questioning things and you're, you're unsure if you're doing the right thing. Um, but I think consistency with anything is huge. And then I think, leaning into things as you do, like probably year three, maybe, um, you know, in Instagram, um, Pinterest, all of those things kind of started to get going. And we rode the Pinterest wave for years. Well, I mean, as you should have, I mean, you yeah. are like the prime, prime brand to be on Pinterest. Exactly. And Instagram too. I mean, we had such incredible organic growth for a good, you know, three, four years on Instagram where it was like, we could get our our stuff in front of thousands and thousands of people for free. <laughs> like there was no charge. I mean, are you guys I, TikToking now? I try. <laughs> I'm 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 certainly not a person who's like, I'm too old for TikTok. I find it fascinating. The algorithm is spot on. It is so much better than any social media thing has ever done. And I think what's hard for you know like elder millennials like me <laughs> is that I'm like oh, I'm so used to having everything be so perfect. Like Instagram taught this like perfection. Like I would not post anything on our grid or our stories or anything that wasn't so manicured and, and styled and perfect. Cause I, you know, insp- or Instagram, it was so inspirational. It was so aspirational. Um, and TikTok doesn't want any of that. It wants, you know, raw and real and unedited and unfiltered. And, um, you know, it's a hard thing for me to break, but I'm, we're, we're definitely on it. We're uploading, we're following people. Um, I mean, it's super humbling. We don't even have like a thousand followers yet, but like, you know, it's like, it's, it's an interesting thing. 
I just want to take a minute to say thank you. In just a few short months, this podcast has reached some incredible milestones, namely helping so many of you. From founding, growing, and selling my first company and now helping others to do the same, so many of you trust me right here on the podcast, but also through my classes, my one-on-one programs, and my social media. Your belief in me is so appreciated, and now I can help you to grow your own personal brand or your company's community through content, social media, partnerships, email, collaborations, and more. Just click the link in the show notes and fill out the form. Grab 30 minutes with me. We can chat, connect. I'd love to get to know you and your business and perhaps even have the chance to work with you. Thanks so much for being here. Elizabeth, I'm right there with you, sister. (laughs) Okay. Like we can have an offline conversation about this because this has been my like my kind of like personal side project because I feel I've mastered a lot of, you know, all the other social media platforms and I'm working on TikTok now. And like, I have my 11 year old, like giving me tips. And oh, I actually, bet. I wish I had an 11 year old. She like, she, I posted something the other day. It was so funny because she, maybe I'll cut this out. Maybe I won't, but she, she, she asked me to give her like a, and it's an email that she gets every day. I think I pay like $5 a week for it. And it talks about TikTok trends and I figured I'll buy it for her. And then I'll, I'll have her send it to me every week, every day. Yeah. And so I followed like this trend that was on there. It was like, something so stupid. It was a filter. You can't even see my face. And my, and my, and my daughter just kept saying to me, just follow the trends in the email. And so I did the, I like shared this video and she says to me yesterday in the car, she goes, mom, what the hell is this? And I was like, it's from the trend email, Jordan. I was like, it's, and it was like this crazy, crazy filter. And it has like, it just says one sentence and it's like to a sound, but like, it's not me dancing. I won't do that. But like, you know, but it's so funny. And because I, I look at these people on TikTok too, and, you know, obviously most of them are half our age. And I'm like, do you even fucking know what it took to start a business with no social media? Because like, totally. guess what, girlfriend? I started a community that ended up being 3 million people a month with none of this shit, none of this garbage. And so, you know, and it's like, I think you, if you pulled social from any of these businesses, especially these young businesses, they would not know how to market their brand. They wouldn't know how to go to Ikea and do what you did. They wouldn't have that wherewithal because they were, they never had to do it. Well, and it's interesting too with TikTok because it is so, I mean, what, what I think was great about Instagram is that you had to have a strong brand voice. You had to have a strong brand aesthetic. And I think now people think like, oh, an aesthetic is just kind of like a vibe. It's like this weird, you know, it's this like ethereal thing, but it's like, again, for women our age or people our age, we know that like branding is like a whole set of things that you do. And none of it is like circumstantial or accidental. It's all very planned and strategized. And, you know, you kind of have this thing that you're kind of building all these pieces to kind of create a bigger brand. And I think what's so crazy and, and somewhat, you know, intimidating to me is that like, there's so many of these brands on TikTok that have none of that, you know, they're just like loose and easy and it's fun. And there's a part, part of me that just really respects it because I'm like, man, I just leveraging the moment. They're leveraging the moment and they're not taking, you know, 14 weeks to strategize about this one video. They're just like doing it. And I think that there is something totally to be learned from that, like less perfectionism and whatever, but it's a hard thing for me to break. But I also think to your point, there's gotta be like a foundation built, right? You can't just have like one viral video and be like, okay, we've made it. Or, you know, it's, you've got to have foundational things too. So but I mean, man, TikTok is, it's the wild, wild west. I mean, it's totally like I'm learning and it's interesting to see what does well. And the things that I'm attracted to on it are also not the things that I'm attracted to on like Instagram. It's right. like a different set of things. So, um, but the, the algorithm is absolutely unbelievable. I mean, and the stuff that is on my necessary for, for your business to grow. It, it's crazy. Yeah. And so it's like also just learning, you know, I'm, I'm doing, it's humbling. Like you said, I mean, it's like, you kind of have to start from the bottom and, and figure things out and be a listener and, um, you know, be, be kind of like taking notes on, on things that you think are, are companies or people who are using it in an interesting way. And, and then of course, having it make sense for your brand, like similar to you, I'm not just going to do like any trend for chasing paper just to like get views or likes or followers. It's like, 
I still have to be true to the brand that we've built and not like alienate our customers in any way. Um, but I think it's really interesting, like really, really interesting. So you, you talked about how, when you were tying the Ikea packages that you were like, you know, I was a one woman show and it like took me, <laughs> it took weeks. Me, yes. weeks to do it. So you were a one woman show. You're not anymore. So what does your team look like now? Like what is your company makeup? Makeup. Yeah, like it's still really small. Um, I brought my brother on as my business partner. He had always kind of been involved. He was living on the West Coast and I was on the East Coast. Um, and really in those first couple of years, he was like the person, like my sounding board. I mean, he had like a full-time job. He wasn't like working on the company or anything, but you know, he was such a great sounding board. And um, probably about five years ago, um, we both really had kind of just a, a point of inflection with the business where we both said, and we've always produced the wallpaper here in um, Milwaukee. And um, so we both moved back and um, we, you know, have both have ownership, which is great. And that was something that I was learning or yearning for, for, I think a long time is just someone to have, um, you know, be as invested as everything as I would, but, you know, I was, cause I just did it alone for so many years. Um, and then we have a great production team here in Milwaukee and then, um, you know, like customer service. And then we have, um, a great PR team that's out in San Francisco, a great marketing team in LA. Um, so we've kept it pretty like lean. And then we just brought on are two all planners. of those teams, like contractors or agencies, or are they in-house? Um, our PR firm and our marketing agency are agencies. Um, it just works the best for us. And it's funny because like, especially my, the two women who work on our PR or um, our PR team who work on our account, I mean, they've been with us for like seven years. So they very much feel like part of the chasing paper team, but that's amazing too, because that's not, that's an anomaly. I want to say that, especially like at an agency, you know, a lot of times people change over and you're very lucky to have that. We are, we are so lucky. And I think the other part of it is, is that like, we really try to, and I think when people are starting out, it's like, you know, bringing people in house and having people work for you and having like headcount is like a huge expense right oh away. God, yeah. so like the world is so incredible now. Like we just hired two designers at like we 1099 and like they've got hours a week, you know, and whatever. And we u- utilize them, but like the work landscape is completely different now. And I think it's so valuable for business owners, especially people who are just getting started. Because you don't need to make a giant investment in no, your headcount. You can hire people by project and Absolutely. go hire as you go. And it's so much easier. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think for a long time, people like there was like a... um I don't know. I feel like people were like, oh, but they're not like on your team. Like that in some way invalidated, like, oh, you don't have like a huge team that works under you. Like that, like headcount was like a sort of like a sign of success or something. Right. And now I think it's like the opposite, which I, again, I think is so awesome. Like I used to be embarrassed to tell people, oh, it's just me. It's just me doing everything. You know, like in those early years, I'd be embarrassed by that because I thought that it had something to do with my success that I didn't have all these people working for me. But like, I was also making like seven figures. You know what I mean? Like right. the company was making seven figures and it was just me. So I was like, I'm just going to ride this wave, man. You know, like, of course I brought in people and, you know, I've always had a production team who's helped with, you know, production, but it's like, you know, I mean, I don't know. And and businesses scale in such different ways. And I think that that's a really important thing that like I'm still learning is that like the company that you're watching on Instagram or on TikTok or whoever, I mean, the ins and outs of business are there's good things and bad things about every single business. And anyone who tells you that they like don't have any problems or issues are just lying. Like liars. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, whether it's, you know, finance or, um, you know, finances or your product or marketing or, you know, personnel or whatever, like there's always intricacies of everyone's business that are great and also challenging. And um, so I think you just got to like run your business the way that feels right to you. You know, I, I, I'm still, I, learning could, I could not agree with you more. <laughs> Wait. So I have to ask you this because yeah. I have two more questions for you, but I have to ask you this. I, there was a, obviously a huge boom in people caring for their home during the pandemic. I don't want to let you off this, this conversation without addressing this. Yeah. There also have been a lot of supply chain issues. How did COVID impact your business, both from a positive and or a negative or both? I I mean, I think in your world, it could really go both ways, right? Yes. And I'm so glad you asked this question because I think that a lot of times 
people say like, oh, well, what happened to your business in 2020? If I had just talked about 2020, people would be like, get her the fuck off here. Like that's annoying because 2020 was the best year I've ever had in business ever. Like we sold more paper through our website, which is like full margin, like the best kind of thing you want. Um, by such an incredible, like from 19 to 20, we grew by such an incredible amount. I mean, I could never have wished that for myself ever, but if the story doesn't stop there, right. Cause then it was 2021 and now it's 2022 there's supply chain issues. And there's also a huge rebounding effect from everyone being home for 18 months. Right. So like last June, um, you know, we may, we had an, a phenomenal sales month and then June vaccinations hit you know, everyone got vaccinated. Everyone was vaccinated by June. It was summer. People were like going back out into the world. I mean, we went from like one of our best sales months ever to like one of our worst sales months better back to back months. And as a business owner, that is shocking. I mean, like we had been riding this wave through, through for 18 months of a pandemic. And like, what makes it so hard is how do you forecast? How are you buying material? How are you? I mean, there is such a trickle down when you're not sure of how things are going to play out. And I think that that's a really important thing is that like some people are like, oh, my business was great. And it was like a pandemic proof business or whatever, but talk to them now. There might be saying a very different story because there's, you know, as businesses grow, it's also been hard to forecast and to decide all that. And we have luckily touch wood, um, not been super affected by um, supply chain. I think mostly because we are so um, like, obsessed with thinking about it. We buy like six months worth of material at a time just to like really offset some of that. We really try to like plan and and forecast. That's like my Midwestern sensibility. I always want to be prepared. Um, But I, I think for us, the bigger challenge has been like, how do you, you know, and then there's like a second wave. And then like, how does that affect your business? Like good or bad? Like, are we moving through material faster? Can we get more material fast? is it a slow month? Like, you know, last summer was a slow summer for us, just like revenue wise. And it's like, will this pick back up? We think so, because that's what our pre COVID, you know, numbers and forecasts would have shown us, right. That summer is a lower, you know, slower time. People come back from their family vacations. It's back to school. People invest in their homes again, you know, like that was our trend pre COVID, but like post COVID it's like, again, it feels kind of like the wild West. It's like, People think that they know, but they're not sure. And um, I think running a business is just, you know, more not stressful, but it's like a different kind of stress just because you're thinking about things in a totally different way that we would never have thought about, you know, before the pandemic. Before I ask you my final question, I also want to ask you, what do your kids think of your business? They are really, really little. So they are three and almost two. Okay. Um, I didn't realize they were so little. Yeah, but my how are you doing this with a three and a two year old? I mean, my what? I let's was ask that you, question. Two year old is probably screaming in the other room. She's home. Let's ask that question yes. instead. <laughs> no, but you know what's really amazing? My two year old definitely like doesn't really get that. Yeah, she's still really little. She turns two in Ju- July, but my other uh, daughter just turned three, and she anywhere we see wallpaper, she points out wallpaper because she knows that that's what I do for work. And I think my my husband and I just do a really good job of like balancing both of our careers and making them equally as important. And, um, you know, I just, my, my ultimate goal in my life is that my girls will just have like the freedom to do what they want to do. And, um, you know, certainly people always like, Oh, do you want them to take over the business? I have no aspirations of that. I mean, if they would want to, and it's still around then that would be awesome. But like, I, I also just want them to do what they're passionate about because I'm so passionate about my work. I'm sure like you, that it's like, I am, I feel so lucky to be doing what I love every day. And no matter what happens with chasing paper, I'm like, I've gotten to experience and do things, um, that I never, you know, traveled the world. I've met incredible people. I've had just such incredible experiences that I'm like, that's been the the best thing, like money or, you know, all the other things that people think that success are, you know, I don't know, that's not as exciting to me. (laughs) Like the exciting thing is that like, I hopefully, you know, one day I can take my girls with me on business trips and and do those. It's the best. Yeah. Like I literally cannot wait to start taking them to New York and, um, you know, just having them kind of see it from a different perspective and, um, you know, see a little bit of the world and what is next before I ask for your final bit of advice. I know I've just said that, but what is next for you? You know, we are, um, 
doing a lot of product extensions this year, which is kind of new. What we decided 2022 is going to be, because 2021 was like trying to make it 2020 in terms of like, how do we just grow exponentially? And like, you know, which is just like the way we've never run our business. But 2020 was so exceptional that we felt like, oh God, we just got to keep this momentum going. And we've decided, my brother and I, when we really thought about what we wanted to do in 2022 is we just want to try a lot of things that we've been hesitant to try in years past for whatever reason. Um, so there's lots of new product extensions coming, which we're really excited about. Um, we're going to be doing a lot more um, wholesale and retail um, opportunities this year, which we've never done before, which is That's really so cool. exciting. And then, you know, commercial work is back. Um, that was big for us in 2019. Um, so working on hotel projects and restaurants and, um, you know, schools and, you know, um, Re, you know, like residential halls, it's you know, like at colleges and which is so fun. It, there is nothing to me more thrilling than going out into the world into like communal public places and seeing our, our paper. It's so thrilling to me just because I won't be invited probably to many customers homes. I mean, sometimes I guess I am, but um, it's really thrilling. There's a museum here in town or museum hotel here in town and they have our wallpaper in the hotel. And my husband and I went to an event there a couple months back and it was like, I the went. best, right? It was the best. I mean, I, I I hope that never gets old for me because it's it's really thrilling. <laughs> so take yourself back to 10 years ago and think about kind of the the seat you were sitting in. And I'd love for you to share three bits of advice for someone else who might be sitting in that seat right now, um, what they can do if they're thinking about starting a business. Yeah. I mean, I think I would go back to one of the points I made earlier in the podcast, which is um, really understand your differentiators and don't just do them to like be different, but like believe in them, like understand that they are like a fundamental foundation of your business is what makes you different. And this could be, you don't have to have a product. I mean, it could be a service, whatever, but like what makes you different from the many other people who are doing it? If you're an accountant or a graphic designer or whatever, you know, any job you have, um, you know, really what makes you different? What's your point of view? Um, hone that, you know, do a lot of work around it. Um, just so that it is always at like the heart of every decision that you're making and every kind of thing that you're putting out into the world. Um, and then the other advice I would give is, I mean, just to try to stay in your lane the best you can. I just think now, I mean, when I started, we had like three competitors 10 years ago. I mean, we probably have 3000, if not you know, 30,000. I don't even know. I, I can't know. Cause it like stresses me out, but like removable wallpaper, especially has become so cluttered, especially just in the last five years. Um, which is exciting because people see that it's like a trend and that's, you know, something that people are buying. Um, but you but are the original I, and you know that, well, I do, but you know, the person who finds it at target doesn't, and they say, Oh, but I can buy a removable wallpaper at target for $20. Why is yours so much more expensive? And, you know, sometimes I can get frustrated by that, but at the same time, it's like, I just have to continue to be focused on what we're building, which is not, you know, like a cheap product that like is going to be super difficult to work with. And it's going to rip the paint off your walls. And, you know, like that's not the customer experience that we're trying to, to create and trying to give to our customers. Um, so I think just kind of staying focused on, um, you know, kind of what you're trying to do and not letting the noise of what everyone else is doing in too much. Um, and then I think the final thing would just be to, um, I mean, it sounds so cheesy, but like business is hard. I would say 70% of the time. I mean, I think people like to think that it's the opposite, that it's like easy and fun and whatever, but to really, when you have those successes, when you have those days that something is good to really like memorialize them, you know, I, I think I don't do that enough. And I've been trying to be better to have my team do that too, of just like, Hey, we hit the school. We did this thing. Um, it might've taken us longer to get here than we had originally thought, or maybe you know, we didn't get there in the same way that we would, but like, Hey, we signed this contract, we signed this deal, or, you know, we got to hundred thousand Instagram followers, or whatever the, the milestone is to really like do something to congratulate yourself, your team, whatever, because that matters. <laughs> it totally matters. Elizabeth Reese, founder of Chasing Paper. Thank you so much for sharing your story with me, with our listeners. I'm so excited for them to hear it. You are fascinating and congratulations on all your success. You should be so damn proud of yourself. 
Thank you. I appreciate you having me on and get it, letting me share my story. It's it's never gets old. So <laughs> keep sharing it. I will. <laughs> such a fascinating story, as I'm sure you will agree. Elizabeth is such a force, yet she is so real and so honest. And I love the business and the life that she's created for herself and her family. As always, Elizabeth has some incredible takeaways. You know what time it is. Take out your notebook. You're going to want to write these down. Number one, network, 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 network to learn from other entrepreneurs. Number two, the most important thing that you do when you start a business is sending an email. It is a letter to yourself. When you launch, you've been through so much to get to that day. If anything, write the email for yourself. When you get press early on, try to leverage that press in every way possible. If you need help, ask for it. Number four, when you're starting out, pound the pavement, get creative and be scrappy to get the attention of those that can help you, especially reporters and people who can help amplify your message. Number five, for every great piece of press you have, you will have weeks where you are questioning yourself and you will have very hard weeks. It is just part of life and it is part of the business cycle. Number six, consistency is huge. You have to be consistent when you utilize social media, press, or any marketing tactic. Number seven, Keep your team lean and hire people on a contract or project level. You do not need a team of a million full-time employees. Number eight, anyone who tells you they have zero business issues is lying. There, There are always intricacies on everyone's business that are great, and there are also intricacies that are challenging. Number nine, stay focused on what you're building. Don't worry about the outside noise. And number 10, business is hard 70% of the time. People think it's the opposite. But when you really have the successes, make sure that you memorialize them. I hope that you love this story in this episode as much as I love talking to Elizabeth Reese. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure that you take out your phone, click that five-star rating, or leave a review so that others can find us. We have some incredible guests coming up, so please make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or wherever it is that you listen. If you know someone who wants to start their own business like Elizabeth or who has a business or an amazing idea for a business, please text them this episode or post it in your Instagram. Make sure to tag me. I'll reshare some of those to say thank you. Stay tuned for another episode of Dear Founder coming your way every Tuesday and Thursday.